All right, so last time uh, we read about Joseph ascending to his father, appearing to his father in all of his kingly glory, and I suggested this was a type of ascension. Joseph meets with his, fathers and, uh, and his father and he weeps, and he immediately turns to preparing his brothers to meet Pharaoh, and I suggested this was a type of Jesus preparing us for the heavenly courts, heavenly, the royal throne room of heaven. So if last week was typologically the ascension and uh, our sanctification through Christ, this week I think is typologically suggestive of the formation of the Christian church. The beginning of Old Covenant Israel is a shadow of New Covenant Israel. In our passage, there are three main sections. The brothers appear before Joseph. This is a figure of the apostles being appointed as chief shepherds over the church. The second is Jacob before Pharaoh. This is a figure of kings coming to the Father through the Son. The Gentiles coming to the Father through Jesus the Christ. And the third is the settling in Goshen, which is the inheritance of the kingdom uh, to God's, uh, to Jesus' family, who are us, the Christian church. So let's take each of these uh, in turn. The brothers before the king. Joseph brings his family into the presence of the king. He informs Pharaoh, as we talked about last week, he successfully brought uh, his father and his family into Goshen. Sir, I did what you told me to do, and uh, I am informing you of this. They've brought their own livestock. They're going to uh, be honest workers. I'm not planning on any kind of nepotism, and they're not going to be a leech on the state. These are the things I suggested last week. That is why Joseph is saying these things to Pharaoh. Matthew Henry adds another aspect which I think is interesting um, about the insistence of them being shepherds and, and remaining shepherds. He says this, whatever employment or condition God in his providence has allotted for us, let us accommodate ourselves to it and satisfy ourselves with it and not mind high things. It is better to be the credit of a mean post than the shame of a high one. And as we will see, Joseph, uh, Joseph may not have a high post in mind for his brothers, but Pharaoh certainly does. Uh, Joseph chooses five of his brothers, which is interesting. Why is that interesting? He, he doesn't bring all 12 of them. He only brings five. Why is that interesting? I'm thinking of, it's called the five-fold ministry. Uh, mm. But to me, it's like a representative of God ushering the church into the world. That's... Uh, that's pretty good. I hadn't thought of that. That's pretty good. Uh, he said uh, uh, for the, uh, the video and the audio, uh, the fivefold ministry, when Paul says that, uh, which this is actually incredible because Paul is referencing the ascension in Ephesians. He says he ascended on high and he gave gifts to men. And the gifts that he gave to men are pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, and uh, pastors, maybe. I can't, I can't remember. Um, apostles, I don't know. But anyway, all of that is subsumed in the threefold ministry uh, of, of uh, a, because a bishop is a prophet and an apostle. Um, but yeah, the b bishops, priests, and deacons, which is all of these things, teachers and their teachers and their pastors and their prophets and apostles, all of these things. So that's a fascinating because in the story, why is that fascinating? <laughs> Because we just read a typological ascension, and then he's giving gifts to men. Anyway, uh, how, that's, that, that's really good. I think that, that that might be really uh, 
prominent. What, why, why else? And this, that, I, I, yeah, I might, uh, that might actually be more foundational than uh, these other things. Why else is that interesting? Uh, five has appeared in our story a bunch already. Where has it appeared? It's appeared he gave Benjamin five times the amount of food at the noontime dinner. He gave Benjamin five garments of clothes when he only gave the other brothers uh, five uh, uh, or uh, one garment. So uh, we, we see five coming up here. There are five years left in the famine. Um, and, uh, and then he brings five of his brothers before Pharaoh. So it's five, 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 all, all in the Joseph story. And, um, I, I think ultimately um, there, there's, there's several things here. What I've suggested, does anybody remember what I've suggested before about what these are about? They're kingly. Uh, Israel comes out of uh, Egypt in ranks of five. That's what the Hebrew says. So uh, military stuff is kingly, and he is showering the stuff on Benjamin, and I think that this might be some kind of Old Testament reference uh, the, the kingly status of the Old Testament, which, of course, is overshadowed by Judah. But from uh, Benjamin comes Saul. Um, so it's kind of a lesser kind of kingly anticipation. Also, uh, we have five fingers on our hands, and our hands represent power, the hand of God. Uh, our, our hand means we do things, our action. There could be something with that. Um, and then I think that there is something with the five years of uh, famine left as well. Uh, also in the New Covenant, um, there are five wounds inflicted on Christ uh, in, in his crucifixion. Uh, one in each hand, one in each foot, and one in the side. Uh, if you look at uh, Christian altars, there will usually be five crosses on them, um, and uh, one at each end and then one in the middle. And uh, that represents the five wounds of Christ. Um, and that is also kingly. Why is that kingly? Our king is a suffering king. And that's how you become kings. You become kings by suffering, by serving, by dying. That's what's on the cross. I, sometimes you'll see I-N-R-I. That's Latin for uh, uh, Jesus, uh, Nazarenus, Rex, Juden. Uh, or that's probably, uh, what is it? Uh, Eudorium. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. So he's, he's the crucified king. So I think that there's other kingly elements there as well. Okay. Uh, things proceed forward as, uh, as Jason, uh, Joseph uh, prepared his brothers. Remember he said, he's going to ask you this. You need to respond with this. Um, that happens. But... Uh, it doesn't actually, it doesn't map on exactly. So Pharaoh does ask exactly what Joseph prepares them with. They don't respond exactly with what Joseph told them to say. I don't know if that's significant or not. The same spirit, it's the same spirit. Um, you know, we are shepherds like our fathers. May we stay in Goshen. <clears throat> they refer to themselves as your servants, so they are being uh, deferential. They tell them about the famine that's happening. But their, their general posture is deferential, and they are basically keeping their heads down. They, they, we don't want to be a problem. We, just want, we, 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 we don't have pastures because the famine has happened. Please let us stay. Let your servants stay here. Um, so they're wanting to do honest work, and they're keeping their heads low. Pharaoh responds not by talking to them, but he talks to Joseph, 
which is interesting. Might be some kind of typological thing with Christ here. Mm -hmm. uh, the father speaks to Jesus, and then Jesus manages his family, who is the church. Um, and uh, Pharaoh grants it. He says, give them the best of the land. And that's what Jesus says about the father. He says, the father is pleased to give you the kingdom. And I think that that's what's going on here. Uh, he also goes beyond their requests and their expectations. How does he do that? How does Pharaoh go beyond their requests and their expectations? He says, if you, any of your brothers or any of your family members are competent men or strong men, uh, make them chief shepherds over my livestock. Um, he elevates them. He gives them this royal, um, this royal shepherd position. And this is well attested in Egyptian literature. Um, the pharaohs possessed large amounts of livestock and they needed men to attend them. And Ramses III is said to have employed 3,264 men. And most of them are foreigners to take care of his herds and his livestock. So Joseph is, Joseph is actually going over backwards, if we read between the lines, to not put his family in positions of authority. But that's exactly what Pharaoh, or Pharaoh does. He elevates them to positions of authority. Make them chief shepherds over my livestock. So this, of course, historically is, is a remarkable and generous promotion from Pharaoh to these uh, abominations of abominations, these Hebrew shepherds. But this figures the apostles in the Christian church. Make your 12 brothers chief shepherds over my sheep. That's exactly what the Father does through Christ with the apostles. Amen. What does Jesus say to Peter? Do you love me, Peter? He's like, yes, of course I do. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, you know that I do. Feed my sheep. He is making Peter a chief shepherd. Mm -hmm. And then he makes Paul a chief shepherd. And then Paul turns around and he makes chief shepherds. Mm -hmm. uh, in Acts, he says to um, the elders of Ephesus, he says, therefore, take heed of yourself and to all the flock this pastoral language, among which the Holy Spirit has made you bishops. The word there is episkopos, overseers. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So it's almost like elements of the Joseph story are all right here. Purchased with his blood, the five wounds, the five brothers are representative, the chief, the, the, these bishops, bishops are the chiefs of the, the chief shepherds of the church. He's turning around and he's making other men these. And this is traditionally you know, apostolic succession, right? And, and, and this isn't just a, a Catholic thing. This is just how the church has operated. Uh, you know, even non-denominational churches, the elders make new elders. Um, Okay, so uh, then we move on to the next uh, movement of the episode. Joseph brings his father in. His father is already really old, and his body is failing him. It, it appears that Joseph has to, it's like he brings him in in a wheelchair, or he helps him in with the cane. He's, he brings J Jacob in and sets him before Pharaoh. And J Jacob's going to go on to live another 17 years 
Um, he's 130 now. He's going to go on to live 117 years, but he's already thinking he's going to die. Um, so Jacob brings him in. Remember when he blesses his sons, he's leaning on his staff. So Jacob's body has been beat up and it's falling apart. And we're told that the first thing that Jacob does is he blesses Pharaoh. And the second uh, and the last thing that he does is he blesses Pharaoh. And this is very significant. It's significant for several reasons. Uh, I guess I should say sometimes commentators think that he's just giving, uh, he's just saying, hey, how are you? And he's saying, oh, I'll see you later. It's kind of like this greeting and this farewell. I don't think that that's what's going on. I think it's an actual blessing. And I think that uh, it's significant for, for three main reasons. The first one is that in the history of redemption that we've seen so far, God has spoken to Abraham that he his descendants are going to be a blessing to the nations. And that's, that's what we're seeing here. Jacob is blessing the nations through its representative head, who is Pharaoh. And we've seen this with the, the patriarchs. Abraham blesses Pharaoh as well. Jacob's just doing what Abraham has done. Abraham didn't actually, I don't, I don't think he actually bestows a blessing, but I think he does pray for him. And he does uh, heal uh, uh, Pharaoh's household. There's all kinds of things that the patriarchs are doing that blesses foreign kings. God cares about politics. He cares about the, the, the Genesis is just filled with the patriarchs going around and blessing kings, saving kings. This is all over the place, which, oh, by the way, another kingly thing is there's five kings in Genesis in the time of Abraham that he saves from the four foreign kings, Kador, Laomer, and all of his buddies. Um, and then this is when Melchizedek comes in. But anyway, um, so that's one thing that's going on. Jacob is blessing a king, another king here. The second thing is Jacob's acting as a priest. This is something we've seen with the patriarchs. Priests, priests do a lot of things, and we... And, uh, you could do a really fascinating study of, uh, of this, but I've been mentioning it this whole time. Priests, they offer sacrifices and they offer blessings. Those are two main things that priests do. They also, they also guard the tabernacle. But um, this is something we've seen starting with Adam. Adam is an anti-priest. He is, he, the, the sacrifice he's supposed to offer is himself. He doesn't do it. Um, and then he, instead of offering a blessing, he, he offers a curse. All of humanity is cursed through him. He's, he's the anti-priest. Uh, and then we see Noah offering uh, sacrifices. We see Abraham setting up altars, offering sacrifices of thanksgiving. And we see the same thing with Isaac and the same thing with Jacob. And Jacob, as he's coming down to Egypt, he erects an altar, he offers sacrifices to God, and now he's offering a blessing. And this is what the Aaronic priesthood does. He will bless the people of Israel. And so he's doing that. He's acting as a priest here, which is what Israel is supposed to do to the nations. It's something they failed to do. But Jacob, who is Israel, is acting as a priest to the nations right, right in this moment by giving him a blessing. That's, a, that's the second part. Third part. I think that this is the strongest evidence for Pharaoh's conversion because we see Jacob in the superior position here, which means that Yahweh is in the superior position. Uh, and uh, uh, Pharaoh is voluntarily putting himself in this position. Uh, there's a couple things that indicate this. Jacob is, unlike his sons who refer to themselves as your servants, he's just talking in the first person. It's much more informal interaction. 
his sons are saying, may your servant stay in Goshen. Jacob just says, my life has been terrible. <laughs> and he doesn't say your servant, right? Okay. And then the second thing is um, he receives the blessing, which the Bible tells us that the one who receives the blessing is, less, is lesser, is in the subordinate position. In Hebrews 7, 7, um, we read that uh, Levi is inferior to Melchizedek because he received a blessing uh, from Melchizedek when he was in the loins of Abraham. This is part of the argument that, that the writer to the Hebrews is making for the superiority of the Melchizedekian priesthood, which you're all part of because you're in Christ. I'm a Melchizedekian priest because I'm in, I'm in Christ. Um, and he's saying that priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood because Abraham received the blessing from Melchizedek uh, uh, and Levi was in his loins. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? Yeah. Okay. In Hebrews 7, 7 says this. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. The lesser is blessed by the better. And Melchizedek is a type of Christ. Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying uh, Jacob is in the position of Melchizedek where okay. Pharaoh is in the position of, of Levi or Abraham. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Right. The writer of Hebrews says this guy, because he blessed him, he is greater than him. So that's, that's just the point I'm making. Also, Abraham tithes to Melchizedek. What is a tithe? A tithe is giving a 10% portion of your best increase, of the best produce, of your best livestock. What does Pharaoh do with Jacob? He gives him a portion of his land, the best land. So he's, in a sense, tithing. To Jacob. So uh, there, there's a sense which I think this all shows that uh, Pharaoh has converted. He's receiving the blessings of this priest of Yahweh, and uh, he's putting himself under this God. Yahweh has conquered the Egyptians. Of course, it doesn't stay this way, but I think that this is something we can read uh, from the text. And then, as I mentioned before, typologically, the kings of the earth are going to come to God through the Son. And that's what we see here. Pharaoh only comes to Jacob, the father, through the son, Joseph. The kings of the earth are only going to come to God, the father, through Jesus Christ, the son. I think that this is another thing that uh, is um, uh, in the text. Jesus says, no man comes to the father except through me. There's this connection, this Trinitarian connection, and Jesus is the one who brings uh, all men to, himself, uh, uh, to the Father. Okay, uh, then what happens between the two blessings is this, converse, it's this kind of strange conversation between the two of them. Pharaoh asks, how old are you? He says, the years of my pilgrimage have been 130, and my life has been short and evil. It's a kind of a strange thing. But here's what I think is going on. I think that there is another anticipation of, of the new covenant here, in a way. 
uh, that kind of it shows the it's a theology of the cross. That's uh, I'll just I'll say Jacob is preaching a theology of the cross to Pharaoh, um, and Pharaoh doesn't respond. Right? He he he. Pharaoh doesn't respond by saying, "Wow, you're you've suffered under Yahweh. Um, my gods don't make me." suffer like that. You can keep your second blessing. I don't want this. Rather, he says, give me that second blessing. You man who have suffered and your days have been short and evil. You hear what I'm saying? There, there, there's this, I think he's, and that's what we do as Christians. We say, do you want to be saved? Well, then you have to die and you have to suffer. Your life is going to be terrible. People are going to burn you. People are going to feed you to the animals. And then Pharaoh says, sign me up. Give me a blessing. I want to be part of it. Yeah, I want Yahweh to be my God. So I, I think that that's probably a little bit of what's going on here. Uh, you know, he talks about, he's not as old as his fathers. Abraham was 175. Isaac was 180. Um, yeah, Jacob's going to die at 147. Uh, just a, a young man. <laughs> had, a, had his whole life ahead of him. Um, and, and I think about... This is right before the, the birth of the nation. And I think about a woman in, in childbirth. It's painful and it's hard. And Jacob got beat up. Jacob's life was very difficult. His father preferred his older brother to him. His brother wanted to murder him. Laban mistreated and cheated him. Um, his favorite wife dies. His favorite son is stolen from him. One of his sons tries to do a coup and sleep with his concubine. There's all kinds of stuff that's going. Dinah's fornication leads to his sons massacring an entire town. His sons are mass murderers and liars. Like, there's all kinds of bad stuff going on with his life. God wounds him. He, he breaks his thigh. He walks with a limp for the rest of his life. Uh, God delivers him from these things. You know, he's, he gets the blessing from Isaac, the ge genuine blessing. He's reconciled with Esau. But what does he share? He shares the cross. That, he shares the cross that God's given him. And I think, you know, this birthing of Israel kind of manifesting in Jacob's body is something we can think of. I think we're all pretty well convinced that we are at the beginning of a, of a new reformation. And it's painful. We're like a woman in child, childbirth. And childbirth is painful. It's hard. And, um, but then I also think about women will be sh saved through child, childbearing. So, so if we, we finish this labor, uh, I think that there, there'll be some salvation, even though there's, there's suffering here. Okay. Um, he confesses to be, uh, we, our, our translation says pilgrim. Uh, he's the days of my pilgrimage. Um, I think maybe the more common under, uh, the word that rings in our heads is sojourner. That's, that's probably, it's the same word. The days of my sojourning have been short and evil um, is what Jacob is saying. Hebrews says that the patriarchs confess to be sojourners. Uh, this is a famous passage used uh, by Christians often uh, I would say sometimes in, in an unhealthy escapist way. Um, I'm just a sojourner. You know, I'm not really invested in what goes on here. 
but what the patriarchs had in mind, or at least what Hebrews tells us, is that they had in mind a, a better and a heavenly city. But then Hebrews goes on to say that we've received the heavenly city. You've arrived. So I think that there is a sense in which we have received what the patriarchs died in faith believing. And so I think we kind of do a disservice to the patriarchs when we push that reality back. Of course, we're not in the fullness of the heavenly city, but we have received it. So Hebrew says a classic way of kind of resolving this is already not yet. We've received the kingdom, but we're receiving the kingdom. And Hebrew says that at the end, he says, you're receiving a kingdom, therefore fear God. Um, the, uh, Jacob's bro, uh, sons also confess this when they request to live in Goshen. They say, um, uh, we, we're requesting to sojourn in Goshen is, is the word that they use. So when Hebrew says that the patriarchs confess to be sojourners, uh, we literally have that confession being made here uh, in front of uh, Pharaoh. And so this gets kind of to the last section. <laughs> this is something that I'd like to, uh, I, I alluded to uh, in the confession exhortation. I, I originally wrote it to uh, talk about there's a difference between knowing that an ark exists and then actually entering into the ark. But then I changed it to knowing that Goshen exists and entering into Goshen, which I think Probably to our ears, it's, it's not, uh, it doesn't have the same impact, but it should, because that's what Goshen is in this moment. It's, an, it's a type of ark. It's a type of salvation uh, for, the, for the people of God. Uh, and, and I, I want to get into that in a little bit. But uh, uh, Joseph, so they request to be sojourners, but the language that's used, Joseph settles them and gives them a possession in, in Goshen. And the words that are used there, giving them a possession in Goshen, are usually indicative of a more permanent inheritance. And so I think what's going on there is that there's an allusion to the fact that all the earth is going to be given to the people of God. There's kind of like a stakehold right there in Goshen that uh, has happened. That while they're requesting to be sojourners, God's like, no, this is where... You, we're, we're going to redeem this. This is going to be yours. I'm going to give this to you. Um, but uh, yeah, Goshen being a kind of arc, I think is that's another thing that's happening here. Uh, let's see here. Oh yeah. Okay, so uh, it could be possible that the Egyptians are converted. I think that's probably likely. But whether or not whether they are or not, it doesn't matter because eventually they they aren't. Um, they, turn, they turn on Israel, right? So God gives them this ark, this place of refuge that's surrounded by Gentiles. And even when Egypt is being judged, Goshen is preserved. It's another kind of ark. When the lights are out in Egypt, the lights are on in Goshen. And I think that we can think about this as being, we're in Fort Collins and we're surrounded by Egyptians, but we have this little Goshen. And any, all churches are like this now. Amen. We're surrounded by places. Let's assume that the Egyptians were Christian. And then they stop becoming Christian. They turn. They turn on the true Christians. Uh, they turn on the Hebrews. Well, we're in the same position. Every, he, Fort Collins used to be a Christian city. <laughs> like every city in America. And uh, they're not anymore. And they hate us 
Fort Collins people hate us. Other Christians hate us. And yet God has given us this little Goshen uh, and he will protect us. He always delivers his people. He always saves his people, right? What does he do? What is Goshen? Goshen is a way of delivering his people. They're in famine. He brings them to this ark, which saves them from the famine of the rest of the world. And then when Egypt turns on them, what does he do? He brings them out of Egypt. He saves them out of Egypt. So we don't need to be biting our fingernails about the coming economic collapse or America becoming a non-Christian nation. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like it matters, but it doesn't matter. Like we don't need to freak out about these things. Like God saves his people. He delivers his people. So stop being afraid. Okay, and then this is the last thing. Uh, Jacob is, he's welcomed warmly by Pharaoh. And this has already happened once in his life. Uh, he's, he's welcomed by Pharaoh. And he's, he's, uh, later he's going to be mistreated by Pharaoh. His children are. And this happened with Laban. Jacob was warmly welcomed by Laban, and then Laban later mistreats him. And I had said when we were going over that section that Laban was a type of Pharaoh. He was anticipating what Israel was going to go through. And that's what we're seeing here. Pharaoh is, I think, truly converted. Uh, he's receiving him warmly. But uh, there's going to come a time where people don't know who Joseph is, and they're going uh, to turn on Israel, and they're going to suffer. And what's going on here, what I think that this shows us is that Israel, the family of Joseph, is going to experience the same thing that Joseph experienced. Joseph went down into Egypt as a slave. He experienced suffering, but he was taken out of that. Israel is going to go down into Egypt and they're going to also become slaves and they're going to experience that suffering, but they're also going to be brought out of that. And this is the Christian life. This is that born again aspect that I was talking about. Joseph goes before his family and experiences these things before them. Just as Jesus went before us and he experiences the death on the cross and the suffering and the shame and then the resurrection and, and the glorification. Jesus experiences all these things before his family, who is us, the Christian church does then we follow him and we do the same thing. We go down into Egypt. We go down into the grave. We do this in baptism. We do this in our lives by mortification of sin, by suffering through persecution, by all of these things. And we're going to do it in the resurrection when we go down and our bodies are eaten by worms. And then we're going to be resurrected and we're going to live forever. Like there, th this is... This is Christ going before us and doing all of these things, just as Joseph went before his family and did all of these things. The psalmist says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And that's what the Lord is going to do with Israel. The Lord delivers Israel from famine by bringing them down into Goshen. And he's going to deliver them from slavery by bringing them out of Egypt. Let's pray. All of you were made priests in baptism. Like Jacob, like Israel, you are to be uh, priests to the nations, to the unbelievers and the backsliders, and, and to the, the believers uh, in your life. So the charge is this. Offer blessings to Pharaoh in your life. Bless your boss by working for him as you would for the Lord. Bless your neighbors by telling them what God has done in your, in your life, even all the sufferings like Jacob did. Bless your city council members by being good citizens. Bless your police chief by praying for him. 
There's all kinds of ways that you can be a blessing to the nations, that you can exercise your priestly function as a, uh, a priest to the nations. So go, therefore, and bless the nations. May God give you the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, an abundance of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 